0: coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation.
1: It's time for another edition of the podcast Designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm your host Tyler and I hope you guys had an awesome holiday season. I promise you guys, I tried. I really tried to steal a couple of minutes to sneak away and do this episode last week, but my efforts were all in vain. Couldn't make it happen. Y'all know how the holidays go, and the reality is I don't get to see my extended family as much as I would like to now that I'm getting up older and older and the family continues to grow and grow. So I tried to maximize that time as much as I could over the past couple of days. But I know that also doesn't help you guys who might have been looking for a brief escape, a reprieve from all the family fun sometime over the past couple of days, and we didn't have an episode for you. I really tried. I promise. Couldn't make it happen. But I'm going to make it for today as I run through all of the remaining questions from last week's mailbag. And all of these questions today on the show have much more of a recruiting bent to them we did the, the the team-centric questions last week, so we saved all the recruiting-centric questions for today. And then on Tuesday, Curtis and I will be back for our official, official, official preview of the college playoff matchup with Michigan in the Orange Bowl. So we we'll have that for you guys here in just a couple of days or a couple hours, depending on when you're listening to this episode, or it might already be up depending on when you're listening. So we've got that for you guys coming up. And then Charlie and I will be back for our final picks episode of the 2021 season. Winners and losers of the season will be decided on that episode, so make sure to check back for that. We'll have that for you guys either late Wednesday, early Thursday, and that is where I will make my official Orange Bowl game prediction. But today we've got a bunch of questions to get through, so I want to make sure to run through all of those. But first, I do want to remind you guys out there for your next trip to the Classic City, make sure do yourself a favor and book your stay at the Normal Town Cottage here in the heart of the Classic City. It's immaculately clean. It's comfortable. Three bedrooms, kitchenette, living room, big screen TV, so no cramped space like you have in a hotel. It's right down the street, literally a short, very short walk away from some awesome, unique, very Athens-esque bars and restaurants. You've got automatic pizza. you got normal bar. You've got high-low. You've got square one if you're into seafood. Old Pals are really kind of nice upscale bar. The recently renovated Agua Linda with complete rooftop bar. Now, guys, if you haven't been by down Prince Avenue, make sure you check it out, guys. when you stay at the Normal Town Cottage? Really nice space, not completely renovated, got a rooftop bar, sitting area. It's really cool. And then, of course, downtown Athens is just down the street down Prince Avenue. There really is no better place to stay in Athens. So, again, for your next trip to Athens, make sure you book your stay today at the Normal Town Cottage. But all right, guys, we have a good number of questions to get through today. Again, all recruiting-centric questions. And we're going to start with a question from Mike. And it's kind of a loaded question, just to give you guys a heads up here. But I love it. I appreciate the question, Mike. You're coming out, guns blazing. And this is a great question to kick the show off with. So Mike asks, how worried should we be about Florida finally having a competent recruiter? Napier came in and punked Kirby in just a few weeks okay, maybe, with Kamari Wilson and Shamar James, and also took our recruiting director. Is this a sign of things to come? So yeah, a little bit of a loaded question here, and I'll start off by saying, Mike, I get it. I understand where your concern comes from, because if you listen to this show, you guys are like us. Curtis and I, Charlie and I, we we make no bones about this. We're just like you guys. We're no different. We're just massive, diehard Georgia fans. So I understand the feelings that go along with Florida bringing a new coach and then coming in right away and taking two recruits that we felt really good about and then taking the person you're talking about, our recruiting director, that's Katie Turner, former director of recruiting operations here for the past couple of years. I understand where the concern comes from because it matters to us. It means something to us. And when our hated rival is perceived to be having success at our expense, then that, number one, arouses feelings of resentment, and then concern, fear over, oh my God, what does the future look like? It's the one edge that people always admit, even when they were saying that Dan Moon was a better football coach than Kirby Smart, which I think has now been proven to be factually inaccurate, as I've been saying for years and years and years. But what they would always say, even when they thought Dan Moon was an offensive mastermind, well, Kirby Smart is clearly the better recruiter. And now, all of a sudden, does that change? Billy Napier comes in in a couple of weeks and, based off perception, is able to take a couple of recruits away from Georgia and take our recruiting director away. Like, is the tide turning here? Like, now are we going to have any advantage over Florida anymore? How long is it going to be before Florida goes on another run over Georgia? I understand where your mind goes because we've all been there. We all love Georgia and we all want the best for our program and we don't want our rivals to be good. I get it. I understand that. But, at the same time, I'm going to caution you Let's just chill out, all right? Let's not jump to conclusions right now based off a of very, very small sample size. And look, Billy Napier is infinitely more talented as a recruiter and more committed to recruiting than Dan Mullen is. That's why I honestly didn't want them to fire Dan Mullen because I, I felt as long as he was he was here, we would always, Always had the talent edge over Florida. Doesn't mean we'd always beat them every single year. We know what happened last year, but we would always be the more talented team because Kirby Smart would just simply continue to recruit circles around around Dan Mullen. So that's why I wanted them to lose and and not be good, but like not be bad bad enough to where he would get fired. That would it's kind of like my perfect scenario. It's like yeah, they go like eight and four, nine and three, but they don't win the East. We beat them. They don't really contend for anything but they keep Dan Mullen around. It's good enough to kind of burnish that reputation and keep people thinking that he's this great coach and keep him around and we just keep beating them and keep winning the East. That would have been my ideal scenario. We know obviously the bottom dropped out of that program this year and everyone saw Dan Mullen for the coach that he is. A really, really good offensive coach. I mean, if you want to call him an offensive mastermind, I don't have a problem with that. He's a great offensive coach, a great offensive mind, but he is just wholly inadequate in terms of running a major college football program like as an organization. Like you have to in this modern day of NIL and recruiting and all the things that go along with it. The way Saban is basically Sabanized all college football and to keep up with that, you have to run your program like an organization like Saban does, like Kirby Smart does. And Dan Mullen was just wholly inadequate to do that and he couldn't recruit very well because he's just a really strange dude. Couldn't connect with players. So I always wanted him to be there because I felt we would always have the upper hand as long as he was there. And I do recognize that Florida is very well situated in one of the most fertile recruiting hotbeds in the country. It is the flagship university in one of those fertile recruiting hotbeds in the, in the country. It has the potential to be a, a recruiting superpower. It hasn't been, they have not been, and really haven't been for a while. Maybe even going back to like the Urban Meyer era, I guess Mushroom had a couple of good years recruiting, but he wasn't there long, long enough for it to really have much of an impact. But they have the potential to be A powerhouse recruiting program because of the proximity to talent they have, the fact that they are the flash university. Now, there are some internal issues that to deal with. They are way behind in the facility's arms race. They've even been talking about reducing the capacity. Their, Their athletic directors come out and basically said, we are going to reduce capacity inside the swamp. They're going to replace some of the seats with more luxury seating, but they're going to reduce the capacity by like 10 to 20,000 seats because they can't sell out their stadium. They might be the Flash of University, but they don't have that diehard fan base of like a Georgia or Alabama programs like that. So there are some disadvantages there internally, like relative to the rivals they have to, to compete against. But the fact is, they again are the Flash of University that has had a lot of, uh, I almost call it recent success. But over the past 20, 30 years, going back to the 90s when Spurrier was there, they've won multiple national championships. They have that tradition that's recent enough for them to sell, and there are an abundance of players there. So I I feel like, I've always felt like if they got the right guy in there, a recruiting type guy, they could recruit lights out. And Billy Napier comes into Florida as a guy with a, a big time recruiting resume he spent time with nick saban he's he's coached on the same staff of kirby smart he has those recruiting chops he understands how to build an entire recruiting operation. that's what people miss because we don't get to see like the peak behind the curtains very much we very rarely get to see any of that The average fan doesn't, and we kind of just boil it down in our minds like, well, okay, it's Kirby Smart's a great recruiter, and Will Muschamp's a great recruiter, and Glenn Schumann's a great recruiter. We we boil it down to like individual relationships, like just the the coaching staff themselves. And don't get me wrong, that's obviously a massive part to this, but it's so much more than that in the modern era of recruiting. I mean, again, I go back to the, I call it an organization. We have this very sizable recruiting operation within the larger confines of our Georgia football program operation. We have support staff for the recruiting support staff. And those guys and girls play a much bigger role behind the scenes than I think the average fan realizes. And Dan Mullen simply didn't really grasp that. He didn't really have the background in doing that. Kirby Smart obviously does. And Billy Napier, with his background, understands that. He is going to be committed to recruiting in a way that Dan Mullen never was. And I mean, let's just call it what it is they're going to recruit a lot better under Billy Napier at Florida than they did under Dan Mullen. That means they're probably going to get some recruits. Not probably, they are going to take some recruits that we otherwise, if Dan Mullen was still there, would probably be able to sneak out of Florida. We'd probably get them out of Florida. But the thing about the state of Florida is that it is so big and there's so many players in that state. They can't possibly take all of them. We are still going to get our fair share of players. Now, do we have more competition with Billy Napier there? Yeah, I I think that we do. I think it's safe to say that. But it's not like our recruiting efforts in Florida are just gonna dry up completely, and we're not gonna be able to get any top players out of Florida anymore. That's just not gonna happen. We've gotten top players from Florida, not just under Kirby Smart, but going back under Mark Rick. Like, we've recruited Florida well. We're gonna to continue to recruit Florida well. We have a lot of inroads that we've built in there. IMG has been a big time benefactor to the University of Georgia. And that's, I mean, probably the, the best program in, uh, if you wanna call it a program, it's more of just like a, a recruiting boarding school. But it is consistently the top producer of Power Five talent. In the state of florida and we have a really good relationship there i don't call it a pipeline but kind of it has been a pipeline of source now i know kamari wilson going to florida uh, you can point to that and say well how much of a pipeline is it if he's going to florida well guys we're, again we're not going to get every single one of those players but we have gotten more than our fair share from img and, and going back to the question from mike here like specifically you mentioned shamar james and kamari wilson i i just want to address the elephant in the room here yes kamari wilson was a long time silent commit to us i had that on really good authority for multiple people that around the program and I also have on very good authority that Billy Napier swooped in at the last second, and offered an, an NIL deal to both those guys, Shamar James and Kamari Wilson, that we just. Decide not to match, or we couldn't match, however you want to phrase that. We just didn't match that offer. And look, I know it wasn't Billy Napier. He doesn't make the NIL offer, but certainly boosters, people connected with the program. And look, theres it's a wild, wild west out there right now with the NIL. I'm not saying that they're taking, like these boosters who are making these NIL deals. I'm not saying it's completely coordinated by the recruiting offices. I'm not going to go that far, but I think we would be very naive to sit here and think there's not some sort of connection, some sort of Lannenstein communications between figures within the football program and those boosters who are giving out the NIL deals. I think we'd be naive to think that because the reality is the NCAA is just too spineless and toothless, feckless to be able to do anything about it. They don't have the wherewithal, the ability, the power to really do anything about it in the NIL situation. It's I don't know if there's any guardrails put on it. I wish that there could be. I don't even know what that would look like right now. I got to put a lot more time thinking about that, because right now I've been all in on the Orange Bowl, but it is the wild, wild west out there right now, and they just offer him a deal, and and that's why they ended up Florida, and look, Kamari Wilson is a really good player, but losing a guy like him, I'm not going to sit here and say that, hey, man, Kamari Wilson sucks, man, like, we didn't want him anyway, I'm not going to pull that junk, I'm not going to say that, he's a good player, I would rather him be on our roster than Florida, he's absolutely a really good player, wanted him for a while, But losing a guy like that, that's not going to make or break our program, guys. Now, if they start getting all the guys that we want, yeah, that's a problem. But that hasn't happened yet. Like, let's not jump to conclusions here. Shamar James, by the way, was a former Florida commit, all right, that we were trying to flip I mean, he did decommit. We were trying to get him on our commit list like in the last like week or two leading up to signing day. So that was kind of a whirlwind thing. It wasn't like he was Kamari Wilson where he'd been like a, a, a long time silent commit behind the scenes. That was something we jumped in there late and tried to, to make a move. And we did make a move up until the last second. They offered an, an NIL deal and he took it. At least that's what I've been told from people that I trust. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's not against the rules. That's how a ball works right now. And to be honest, we're going to have to up our game. That's one of the things that I am... If I'm, if I'm concerned about anything right now, to get to your question, Mike, it's not so much Florida, it's just adapting to the NIL era in general. You're seeing programs like Texas giving out $50,000 a year to every scholarship lineman. At least that's been reported. I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but things like that have been reported. We've got to find a way to get in on that game. And I, I don't know the answer because I'm not one of those high rollers. I'm a, I'm a donor, but I'm a very small donor. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a very small fish in a much larger pond. I don't have that kind of cash. But we do have donors who have that kind of cash. And we're going to have to figure out a way to organize things from an NIL perspective that allows us to remain competitive and at the cutting edge of recruiting, which we've always been with Kirby Smart. He's been an innovator when it comes to recruiting. Him, Nick Saban, the whole Alabama deal, we've been very innovative and we need to continue to be innovative on the cutting edge there on the front lines of this stuff with NIL. Now, I think you could probably have to look at how the McGill Society works right now. The McGill Society has been awesome in terms of funding our facilities, renovations and updates, upgrades, all that stuff. But I don't want to say we're tapped out. You, you're always going to need more facilities because it's an arms race there. But it's now an arms race with NIL stuff as well. So are you going to have to have conversations with some of those like big time McGill Society donors, those Silver, silver Circle, which is like the million dollar plus donors. Some of those people, are we going to have to have conversations with them and say, hey, look, you know, we, we love you, want to keep you obviously donating to McGill and all that stuff. But maybe we need to earmark some of this money that you're sending in on, for, like, foundations where we can use the foundations to fund NIL stuff. And there's so many different ways to do this. Again, it's beyond my pay grade. I gotta spend more time thinking about it, digging into it. But we've gotta remain at the forefront of the NIL conversation. Right now, I don't know that we are. I'm not saying that we aren't, but we haven't made the big splashy wave that like some of the other programs have. And we did lose those two pretty big time recruits, two guys I definitely wanted. Late to arrival with a head coach that had just gotten there a couple of weeks earlier. So that's something I think that if if there's something to be concerned about, that would be my concern. But I still would tell you guys I have a lot of faith in Kirby Smart when it comes to recruiting. You guys, if you listen to the show, you know that. I almost implicitly trust him when it comes to recruiting, and I think the NIL stuff. Uh, I don't think it's going to be any different there. I think Kirby will have an answer for this. He'll have a response and we'll figure things out. We'll be okay there. I do want to talk about Katie Turner real quick. Mike, you mentioned Katie Turner. And look, I understand it. I get it. The optics of the situation don't look great. Florida comes in. Here comes Billy Napier swooping in and stealing our director of recruiting right from under our nose, right for signing day. I understand the optics of that. And, And let's not think for a second that there wasn't some sort of shot across the bow there, trying to like send a message but let's look at the context here. Number one, Katie Turner, we hired her from the University of Louisiana where Billy Napier was the head coach. She had a previous relationship with him prior to ever coming to Georgia. Fact number two, they also offered her A promotion. She is now an assistant athletic director at Florida. It is not a lateral move. Yes, she will still be involved with recruiting at Florida, but she got a promotion to remain involved with recruiting at Florida. It is simply not a lateral move. Now, I do understand that all the sensationalists out there like to leave out context but i think context is important in every situation and this one is no different now K turner did a fantastic job for us in the two short years she was here she did an awesome job i wish that she was still with our program but you know what as good of a job as she did for us those kind of positions they are Eminently replaceable. Those positions they come and go, guys. Like people in those jobs, they don't stick around for you know 10-15 years like coaches do sometimes. That's not how those positions work. They parlay them into bigger opportunities just like Katie Turner did. And I don't resent her for that. Good for her. She got a promotion. She got a raise. She's back working with a guy that, that she I don't want to say she didn't start her career with him, but she had a good relationship with before coming to Georgia. And it's cool. And we'll, you know what? We'll be okay. We're going to find the next K-Turner just like we had the K-Turner before K-Turner. We're going to be okay. But to wrap this up and put a nice little bow on it, Mike, huh, is this a sign of things to come? How concerned am I? I I'm Look, I'm not concerned about it. Because again, we are always going to recruit at an elite level under Kirby Smart. We haven't finished outside the top three recruiting since his first year here, guys. It just hasn't happened until we see it happen. I'll just believe it when I see it. It's one of those things for me. And I'll also add this, like the recruiting rankings themselves, I don't want to completely trivialize them. But in the era of the transfer portal, they're not as relevant necessarily. Like the like whoever's in the top three, you're to me, you're basically like recruiting on the same level because it doesn't really factor in who you're going to land the transfer for. Because like we had more scholarships to give out in this class. And I guess technically the class is still not done. We have the late signing period as well, I have a couple of names that we're out that we're still in it for, like Christian Miller and Ernest Green, a couple of guys like that. But there's probably not going to be a year moving forward where we exhaust all of our scholarships on incoming freshmen because the transfer portal is too critical in filling those immediate needs that you have across your roster, whether it's in the secondary for us, whether it's at wide receiver or quarterback for a lot of teams. The transfer portal, honestly, the guys that you get in the transfer portal, I think those guys need to be included as part of your signing class that year. If you want a true measure of how you're upgrading your roster, because so if, like if, if a signing class is about, okay, who did you add to your program? How much better did your program get? Well, don't you need to add in those veterans who have played a lot of football and are transferring from other programs? I think you do. And they don't really take that into account in these rankings. So honestly, if you're in the top three, four in that, in that range, you're basically, as far as I'm concerned, you're essentially recruiting on the exact same level. And I don't see us really falling out of that position as long as Kirby Smart is our head coach. Will it be tougher to recruit the state of Florida? Will Billy Napier get some guys that we otherwise probably would have gotten? Sure, absolutely. He's a better recruiter. Florida's going recruit better. They're going to close the talent gap. I still think that we will remain the more talented team, especially for the foreseeable future. It's going to take a while, guys. Like the talent gap is significant right now. Dan Mullen really let that roster degrade in a serious way. And it's going to take a couple of years for them to get back on our level. And who knows? Like, is In the meantime, is he going to win enough to... Justify keeping him on the job? Like, like we don't know how that's going to play out. I mean, while it takes time to build up your roster and and get those recruits in there, do you win enough games in the meantime to justify you staying there long enough to see those recruits play out? We'll see how that all that plays out. But no, I'm, I'm not really overconcerned. because Kirby Smart is um is a recruiter extraordinaire, and as long as our he is our head coach, I feel okay about it. Okay, so that was enough time on that question. Let's go ahead and move on to our next one. This is from Guy. Always appreciate the questions, Guy. And Guy asks, can you put our 2022 signees into these categories? A, future award winners slash stars. B, starters slash significant contributors. C, role guys slash depth players. And D, why did we offer? So a couple of categories here. I could go really long on this one as well, but I'm going to try to streamline this one a little bit for you. Let's start with the first one here, future award winner slash stars. Okay, a couple have come to mind for me here. Oscar Delp, I am extraordinarily high on him. You guys know how good Brock Bowers has been for us. I don't think it's a stretch to say Oscar Delp is actually a better athlete than Brock Bowers. I'm not saying he's going to be a better player because Brock has been fantastic. I mean, he's, I think, already you can legitimately make the argument he's the best tight end in Georgia history after one year. At least had the best season for any tight end in Georgia history. I think he can go that far. We'll see how the rest of the career progresses, but I mean, if this year's an indication, why is he slowing down? You know, it doesn't make any sense. But I think Oscar Delp has the athletic potential to be that kind of player, so if Brock Bowers has been a Mackey Award semifinalist or a guy that should have been a Mackey Award semifinalist. I think he was a semifinalist. He should have been a finalist. I still don't understand how he was, and that's crazy to me. I think Oscar Delp has potential to be in that conversation as well. Uh, Jalen Walker, I'm extraordinarily high on Jalen Walker. Him and Malachi Starks, I think, might have the chance to be the two best players in this class. I would throw in Oscar Delp as well but Jalen Walker, inside linebacker, is going to be, a, I think he's the next great inside linebacker at Georgia. I'm going to say that right now. So I think if we've got two Buckus Award winners under Glenn Schumann, I think Jalen Walker could certainly be in line to be that next Buckus Award contender for us in the middle of that defense. Here's another guy that no one really talks about when it comes to our 2022 recruiting class, and that's punter Brett Thorson. This guy from... Pro Kick Australia, which has put a bunch of big-time players into the college ball ranks. Multiple Ray Guy award winners. I think he has potential to be that guy. Now, have I seen him punt? No, I have not seen the guy play in person at all. But just reading up on him and the fact that he's like, I think he's 24, maybe 25 years old now, coming into our program, he is going to be our punter next year. And if he goes and kind of follows the same line and the same trajectory as some of these other players. These kickers that have come from Pro Quick Australia, this program they have in Australia to basically train these punters and kickers and send them to America then I think he's going to potentially be in the conversation at some point in his career to be a Ray Guy Award winner. I also love Malachi Starks. I mentioned him a second ago, and sure, maybe he could be a Thorpe Award type guy, potentially. Usually those, those awards go to like more cornerback type guys. Malachi Starks is more of a safety, and safety's going to be in that conversation as well. They just don't get the love that cornerbacks do. Uh, but I would throw him in there as well. Michael Williams, man, like I love Mikel Williams. I think he is going to be a star for us, but he plays that five tech defensive end position. I think that, that is at least where I project him. I think he does have some positional versatility, but the five tech is just not really a glamour spot in our, in our defense where you're putting a massive number. So for that reason, because all these awards are numbers driven. So with, with, for that reason, I don't know if he'll be like a, a, an award finalist, like that kind of guy, but I think he's going to be a big, big, big time player for us. All right. Part B here, uh, starters, significant contributors. I think a lot of these guys, I mean, we, we have a top three class for a reason, guys. These guys are being recruited to come in and, and contribute. So let's just go with some of the guys I mentioned there. Malachi Starks, Michael Williams, Jalen Walker, Oscar Delt, Brett Thorson, James Singletary, five-star from Florida at cornerback, Bear Alexander, big-time Davidson of Lyman, who's pretty much right now, things go according to plan, being earmarked to be the replacement for Jordan Davis. Now, he's not Jordan Davis because Jordan Davis is a unicorn. You don't; Those guys don't grow on trees but he's going to play a lot for us. He's going to be a starter at some point in his career. I would, I would certainly venture to say that right now. Marvin Jones Jr., five-star outside linebacker that we landed late in the cycle. Big time job getting that guy to close up the cycle, at least the early signing period. I mean, look, we have very little depth in outside linebacker right now. I think he's a guy who can come in and even as a freshman, contend for significant playing time, if not a starting role right away, depending on who comes, who goes, and who we might land the transfer portal. Carlton Madden's another guy's kind of under the radar, a three-star guy from Cedar Grove that I really, really like. I'm high on him. I think he fits as an outside linebacker as well, and he's got some positional versatility. He can, he can play different spots for us in different situations, downs, in distances, things like that, but I think he's a guy that, even if he's not a starter right away, can be a significant contributor for us. I think he'll be a starter by the time he leaves the program. Branson Robinson at running back, at the very least, will be a significant contributor for us before he leaves. He's going to be our starter at some point, probably not next year, but going into 2023, he'll probably be our starting running back. Alouba, from ING on the offensive line. It's a guy that I think could be a, a big time tackle for us. I thought I like Dayton Everett, the guy that we were able to get from Clemson late in the cycle. Julian Humphrey, a guy that we flipped from Florida. CJ Washington out of Nick Chubb's old stomping grounds. I'm really high on him as a player. However, I just think that Jalen Walker is the better inside linebacker, and that's where Washington's going to play. So I think he's going to start for us, absolutely, but he just might not be the star. But he's kind of a, a throwback, lunch bell type guy, just like Nick Chubb was. So I'm really excited he's on our roster. Chandler Smith, the speedy guy, the track guy, 10 to 800 meter guys as a junior in high school. I think he's a guy that, I don't know if he would be a starter right away. I would not project that. But, but I think if you can say healthy, By the time his career is over, he'll certainly be a significant contributor for us. I am really high on Cole Spear as well. And it's all relative. I'm higher on Cole Spear than most people are. I think this is a guy that can absolutely be a significant contributor for us. At the receiver position. Maybe not a star. Maybe not your number one guy. I would not say he's a number one type guy, but he's a guy that can absolutely be a contributor for us, as is Dylan Bell, wide receiver, who has not signed yet. But if he does, I think he's a guy that's got some physicality out wide that can really be that strong possession receiver that can certainly be a contributor for us. Roll guys, depth pieces. I think Griffin Scroggs, the lineman out of Grayson. Darius Smith's a guy who also hasn't signed. He's raw right now, but he's got great potential it's just hard to project when you're talking about potential. He's He needs to add some weight, but he's got great length. He has a really good frame to add that weight to. He's got great athleticism. He's just going to be a work in progress. So at least for the first couple years, he'll be more of a role guy, depth piece. But when it's all said and done, if he just continues to train and grow and develop, he can become a big time player. He's just not going to be there right away. Ja'Cory Thomas would be another guy in the defensive backfield I'd throw into that. And uh, let's go Denyland Morissette as well, who could maybe find his way into that starter, significant contributor category. I just don't know if he's a number one receiver. You can say the same thing about Dylan Bell and Cole Spear. I just, I feel, I've seen, honestly, I've seen more of Cole Spear and I feel a little bit stronger saying that Right now, I feel like he'll be more of a contributor early on than more set. More set. There was some injuries this year, but he absolutely could be a significant contributor. I just need to see a little bit more of him and make sure he stays healthy, and uh, then he can certainly find his way in that category as well. And the last one, why did we offer the only one that really comes to mind here for me? Then, like, God, like, do we really want to offer this guy? Is Drew Bobo? And, and I hate to say that because I, I I love Mike Bobo. I appreciate Mike Mike Bobo and everything he's done for our program, but I don't know, man. Like. look, the coaches, they've worked these guys out. They've seen them more than than we have. They have more information to operate off of. So I usually defer to them, especially when it comes to our recruiting staff, I defer to them. But I don't know. It just kind of has all the markings of like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna give you a scholarship and then try to get your dad on staff in some capacity, maybe even on on the support staff. I don't know. It's weird. He's not gonna be a major contributor right away. He might be one of those guys, you know, a fourth, fifth year. Maybe like a Justin Schaefer comes in and finds his way into a starting role, and I guess maybe that's a, a starter at some point. But I think right now it's more likely that he's one of those guys that just never ends up playing. That is that he becomes a starter or a significant contributor. I'd love to be wrong there, but that's kind of where I am on him as we sit right now. Okay, moving on, let's go to a question from Emery Dave. Emory Dave asks, uh, let's talk about all these early enrollees. Does Gunnar Stockton have a legitimate shot to, earn the off- to learn the offense and compete next spring? I mean, he's going to have a shot. He's going to be here as an early enrollee. He's already been on campus, but I mean, a significant shot to compete next spring for like the starting job? I would say no. I certainly have no expectations for Gunner Stockton to come in here and compete to be our starting quarterback next year. Now, he needs to have that mentality and I'm sure he will come in and try to compete to be a starter. I would expect nothing less. You want that from from your big time quarterback recruit. I just as a fan, as someone who follows this program as closely as I do, have no expectations that he's going to be our starting quarterback next year. Now, we all thought going into 2022 was going to be a battle between Gunner Stockton and Brock Venegroff and maybe Carson Beck. I think Carson Beck's probably going to transfer out. I feel pretty confident. It's probably a certainty at this point. You can never say never, but very strong likelihood that he's going to transfer out. Brock Vandengriff has had a, a good bowl practice season. He's really kind of come on late in the season. He's starting Things starting to click a little bit more from him, at least that's what I've been told. But the reality is either one or both of Stetson Bennett and or JT Daniels are coming back next year. And I know a lot of you guys are vomiting right now, as you're like projectile vomiting when you hear me say that I think Stetson Bennett's coming back next year. And I told you guys that like mid-season that, hey, just put it out there, guys. Don't be shocked if Stetson Bennett comes back next year and utilizes that COVID year. I told you guys that months ago. And I know a lot of people weren't really taking that seriously, but again, I have on pretty good authority that Stetson wants to play college ball somewhere next year. And if that's not Georgia, it'll be somewhere else. I think it really does depend on how these, at least this next game, hopefully two games, goes. And if he remains the starting quarterback through the college ball playoff, I think he's going to come back next year and play for the University of Georgia. And contrary to what a lot of people have been spreading out there over the you know the past month or so since the SEC championship game, JT Daniels is not upset with Kirby Smart there is no tension there between the family and the coaching staff that is just fictions made up rumors it's people projecting their own thoughts onto the situation and parading around as fact when in reality it's just not so jt like he, he likes being here i've been told that many many times he loves kirby smart he loves coaching tough he loves his team he likes athens all those things i know he's a west coast boy but he's really taken to athens and he wants to play for georgia He likes the way our program is run Now, if Stetson comes back, I think it's a really interesting conversation. I think the prevailing opinion out there would be, well, if Stetson comes back, JT's leaving. Why would he stay around and, and, and sit behind Stetson Bennett again like he has the second half of this season since he went down those injuries? But I think there's another way to look at this too. JT has already beaten out Stetson for that job one time. In JT's mind, he very well could be looking at it and say, you know what? If I did it once, I can do it again as long as I stay healthy. The only reason I don't have the starting job right now is because I got hurt. And if I can just stay healthy, which I am right now, then why can't I beat him out when this season's over and the competition is wide open again? Now, I'm, I'm certainly not saying that's what he's going to do, but I, I wouldn't close the door on that. There's certainly... The other, the other side of this as well. You can say, well, maybe he just wants to go to a situation where he doesn't really have to compete. It's just a, a more open job where he doesn't have this guy like Stetson to, to compete with. That's certainly possible too. I don't know how it's going to go. I just wouldn't close off the possibility there. And if Stetson decides to leave, go somewhere else, or if he gets benched in the Costwell playoff and JT takes over, then maybe Stetson transfers out and JT sticks around for next year. One thing I will say is JT Daniels is not going pro next year. He's gonna play college Ball somewhere. And I think there's a better chance than people might think that, that somewhere is in Athens. I'm not saying it's a done deal at all, in any way, shape, or form. I'm just saying I think there's a better chance that people realize. So with both those guys or one of those guys in, in my mind, at least one of them coming back next year that person, whether it's JT or whether it's Stetson, is going to be the presumptive starter barring injury. And I just, if that's the case, I don't see where Gunnar Stockton really finds his way into that conversation as like truly being the number one quarterback. Okay. Our next question comes from our very good friend, Josh. We love you, Josh. Appreciate it, man. Hope you and the missus had a wonderful holiday season. Uh, and Josh asks, we landed Bear, but did not get Walter Nolan. When Bear was coming to a you talked about Nolan being a good fit for us. If you could choose, who would you rather have? Well, out of those two, I would probably go with Bear because I think he's a better fit for nose guard. And that's where the most immediate need is. I know we're losing Devontae White. We have Jalen Carter. We have Stackhouse and guys like that who played more of like role piece roles in the past couple years, but they can step in next year and be really good for us at the three tech. We don't really have that true zero tech nose guard for next year. And I think Bear is the closest to that. Now, will he be a, a big time contributor next year like Jordan Davis has been for us? I don't know. Year one, it's always tough. We're talking about the trenches. It's always tough. But I think he's more fit for that role long term than Walter Nolan is. Nolan, I think, can play zero tech. I think he also can play the three tech a little bit better than Bear is more capable of playing that. The guy, honestly... That you didn't mention, Josh, in this question that I would prefer over both of them, if I'm being entirely honest here, is Travis Shaw, who ended up going to North Carolina. He's a guy when back in the spring before he committed anywhere, you know, before most of these guys had made their their choices public. When you're talking about Walter Nolan, Bear, and Travis Shaw, of those three, I think we had a question about this back in the spring. Like to me, Travis Shaw is the one I would have gone with. He's the one, if I could pick any of those three, who would I take? I would take Travis Shaw because I just think he's a better fit at nose guard than either of those three guys. And they're all three gonna be really good players. I just think Shaw is more of that Jordan Davis type nose guard, that zero tech than Bear or Walter Nolan. And I think that's where our biggest need is. I think those guys are hardest to find. So I would just go a little bit outside the question and say Travis Shaw. But if we're talking about just Bear and Nolan and we're gonna limit it to those two, I would go with Bear. I think he's more of a true zero tech, which is, in my opinion, what we need right now.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads dot com.
1: Okay, moving on here, we have an email question from Paul who always sends in some really insightful questions, so we definitely appreciate it, Paul. And this time, Paul asks, what are the most important positions on the field that we need to recruit really well year in and year out? Other than quarterback, which is obvious, if we were going to get five, five stars in some future signing class, what specific positions would you want to see a five star at most? Now, if you're just asking this in general, Paul... You're right. I agree that quarterback is the most important position. So what other positions are on that level of importance? Well, if the quarterback is the most important position, what I've always said is, well, then the guys to protect the quarterback, which are primarily your left tackles, your blind side tackles, and the guys that get after the quarterback are the next two most important positions that you need to make sure that you have. And maybe you can also now with receivers throwing the guys, the quarterback distributes the ball to. Those are the most important positions in my opinion. We've done extraordinarily well recruiting the offensive line in the tackle position. I think we are stocked there with guys like Broderick Jones and Marius Mims. We've got that position down. Now, we have not recruited outside linebacker very well the past couple years. Dan Lanning has been fantastic for us, but he did let that room, the outside linebacker room, go from a strength to a a concern. I mean, there were some serious depth concerns going next year, and there were depth concerns this year. We had some high-level frontline talent, but the depth was certainly questionable and troublesome, and heading next year, that's a concern. So getting a guy like Marvin Jones Jr. in this class to close out the cycle, I think that was really, really important, but you've got to get elite pass rushers, guys that disrupt the quarterback. You've got to get those guys. We've seen it, guys. In the secondary now, with well, the way that college football is officiated, just football in general, the way it's officiated, the way the rules have been changed to favor offenses in the passing game, it's really hard to consistently sit back there and stop a passing game if you let the quarterback sit back there all day long and pick you apart. We saw that front and center against Alabama in the SC Championship game. We could not get enough pressure on Bryce Young, and he was able to just pick us apart to the tune of, what, 400 plus yards. You can't let that happen. You have to have guys that can disrupt the quarterback. You've got to have those guys. So outside linebacker is one that I would definitely want to be recruiting a ton of five stars at. And we were for a little while, but we've kind of dropped off the past couple of years when to get back to that. And then of course, receiver is a position where we've recruited, I don't want to say we've not recruited well. We have recruited well at that position, just not relative to the other positions on our roster. We've got to go out and start getting some big time elite five-star prospects at that position. Because if you want to change our offense, I know a lot of people are just frustrated with Kirby and say, he's just being stubborn he will never change the offense. I don't think that's true. I think Curtis disagrees with me. That's fine. I think Kirby has shown signs of wanting to change with the times. Now, too little, too late. I think that's fair to say. He took too long to come to that realization, but I think he has come to that realization. We saw that evidence early this year with J.T. Daniels when he was healthy in the starter. We threw the ball 30-plus times in two of his three starts, the third star against Vanderbilt. He threw the ball, I think, like 10 times in the first quarter, and then he didn't play the rest of the game, so he probably would have thrown the ball 30 times if we needed to in that game. But we didn't need to. He sees the need to do that. But part of the problem with with kind of opening things up is we don't have the receivers up and down the roster to do that. So it's one of those things like you have to get those guys first before you open things up, or do you open things up and then show guys, those elite players, hey, this is what we're going to do offensively. And then they start to come. It's a chicken and egg conversation that we had last week. But regardless of what the reasons why, the reality is we need to recruit more big time prospects, wide receiver. That is very clear because, I mean, if you look at the way college ball has evolved over the years, it has become an offensive game. Yes, defense is still very important. You can't be a garbage defense and still win the national championship. We saw the Ohio State elite offense this year, defense is flat out garbage. They're not in the college playoff. But Let's make no mistake about it, it is an offensive game. And we have got to keep up with that by getting some of these big time recruits at the wide receiver position. And I did not intend it this way, but just looking at the next question, that was a perfect segue into our next question from Carter, who asks Should we be concerned about the past two recruiting classes and their lack of elite wide receivers? It's a good question, Carter. Very fair question. As I just laid out there, I do think that we need to. Recruit more big time wide receivers, more league guys, more game changers to that position. I think we have good players at wide receiver. I think Jermaine Burton is good. I think that Lad McConkey is good. I think that Marcus Josephine Jackson's a good receiver. I think Kierce Jackson is good. I think AD Mitchell has the potential of all those guys to maybe be like that true number one guy. But we don't have that guy right now, absent George Pickens. And we don't know if he's going to be coming back next year. And George, does in a different way. Like He's not a guy that goes out there and just beats you with speed and athleticism like Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle used to do, and, and like Jamison Williams does now at Alabama. He's just so elite at winning the 50-50 ball. And George, I mean, I said it last year coming into the season before the injury, he had a lot of work to do to, to really kind of polish up his game, become a more well-rounded wide receiver, and I was very hopeful he would do that this year. But then, of course, he had the injury, and that sets things back. I think there's a chance George could be back next year. We'll see. I don't know exactly how that's going to play out but the fact is, we just need more game changers at that position. So yeah, I, I'm concerned that we don't have enough game changers at that spot. I think we have good players. I, I don't think our receivers are garbage like some people out there would suggest. Like for some people, it's black and white: either you're a game changer or you suck. And I think there's some gray area there, and I think a lot of our receivers kind of fall into that gray area. They might not be elite game changers, but they don't suck either. You know, I mean, Jermaine Burton doesn't suck. Has he, been, has he proven to be a, uh, an elite game changer through his first two years? No, but he's shown signs of being a really good receiver. Lab McConkey, is he like a true number one guy? No, but he doesn't suck. That guy helped us. I mean, he was a big time reason why we won the Auburn game. So I think we have good players. We just need more game changers. And finally, our last question of the day comes from Miss Mavis, the couch monster. Gotta love the name. Uh, do you think Malachi Starks plays safety or star for us? Is Michael Williams going to be at the five technique or jack outside linebacker next year? So more of a position type question here. Very good question. Appreciate it. I think Malachi Starks could play either safety or star. I know I'm kind of like hedging this a little bit. I think he could play either position. I think he is athletic enough to play safety. I think he is versatile enough and physical enough to defend against the run and play star for us. Honestly, next year, it wouldn't shock me to see him at star, like we have Tyke Smith coming back, who was really slated to be our star this year. Obviously, the injury set him back is out for the year, but he'll be back next year. Do we potentially look at Starks at star and Tyke Smith at safety, since Starks is a little bit bigger, more physical, although Tyke Smith does have the experience the college level played in the star position. I think those guys can be a little interchangeable. If I just say long-term, I do think Malachi Starks will probably play safety, but the star is such a critical position for us, and I would certainly cross-train him there, because the fact is we haven't had an elite star really under Kirby Smart. We've had some guys that are good players. Anybody that played an elite level there? I don't know if we have. Maybe Mo Smith in 2016 is the closest we've had to it. I think Starks could potentially be a solution for that problem, but he's also a guy that, that could project as a big-time safety as well. Uh, Michael Williams, I don't know if Michael would be a true outside linebacker. I think he's athletic and explosive enough right now to do. I think a lot depends on how his body grows. I mean, he's 6'5", 265 right now, according to 247, and who knows what his up-to-date weights are, but probably at least 265. I mean, he's probably around 6'5", 265, 275. I mean, as a senior in high school coming into college, I mean, he's similar. I mean, he's not quite as big as Trayvon Walker was, but certainly more... Similar to his size from high school, than he was to Nolan Smith. We'll say that. So I think he probably projects right now, depending on how he grows, to play the five tech for us. But I do think situationally he could potentially play outside linebacker at times. And who knows? Maybe we get him in an here and we have him cut weight because he we wanted to be an outside linebacker. So we certainly need some depth there. But if I had to project right now, I think where his body is right now, entering the college level, and looking at, at other guys who he kind of compares to, I would say he looks like more of a five tech defensive end than he does a jack outside linebacker right now. But, all right, guys, that does it for me today here on the podcast. Again, I apologize for not getting this out to you guys a couple days before Christmas, but just trying to spend some time with family. And, uh, you know, honestly, I didn't know if you guys would even have time yourselves to be listening that much to. It. I know some of you probably wanted a little bit of an escape. So I'm sorry for those of you who wanted, couldn't make it happen, but try to make up for it today. And then Curtis and I will be back for our official Orange Bowl preview on Tuesday. And then Charlie and I will wrap up the week with our second part of our bowl pick. So make sure to check back for that, guys. Plenty of great stuff for you as we inch closer and closer to the college playoff. But thank you for listening. I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.